0: thank you for remembering me in your prayer uncle henry because we're going to blow through this really quickly together so there was a study that was done not too long ago um across canada and it turns out much not much to our surprise that vancouver is actually known as the loneliest city in all of canada we're actually the loneliest city and if you are a newcomer coming to the city, whether you uh, immigrated here or you, um, because of work or school, you come over to this city, you realize that it's very hard to make friends. Like Vancouver people are really friendly people, but that's where it ends. Like they're friendly, but they're not really friends where, when you try to want to find community, you want to get to know people on a deeper level, you want to build relationships. You realize that you'll hit a lot of walls and, Part of that is we, in Vancouver, seems to be a lot of very anti-social people. Like, we're so anti-social that we clump clump into these smaller little clusters where we become anti-social together and we do our little things and whenever there's new people that want to join, we'll be like, nah, like, we're happy where we are, so let's not invite new people because it will disrupt the dynamics or it'll make us feel uncomfortable and as a result like this is where a lot of times we form these little clumps of groups where we call cliques and according to the dictionary, cliques are small group of close-knitted people who don't really allow other people to join and the funny thing is we look at those footnotes <coughs> they would say see also Christians and I don't know about you but I find that Christians are really cliquey people sometimes where um, I, I remember I didn't grow up in a church and when I started going to a church it's almost like when you're a salmon trying to go back to your spawning pool you always have to go against the stream so you have to be the most obnoxious the most like in your face person in order to blend into a group where when there are different fellowships that happen, you have to just show up and they might not know you, but you show up and hopefully you get to know the people you try to blend in, you try to go to every single event that you can possibly join until you blend in to a point where people didn't even remember that you're a newcomer, then slowly you can make your way and you become part of that clique. But, The sad reality is once you become part of a clique, you also reinforce that clique where when other new people who aren't as proactive or as like in your face as you are, try to come to a community and want to be part of a community, you will put up a guard yourself with your friends and be like, Oh, um, let's not invite this person because they might be different from us or they might make us feel kind of not so safe when we try to do our things together. And so the problem we're facing a lot of times is that every powerful us threatens to create a them. Every powerful us threatens to create a them. Where by becoming together as one body, we tend to also isolate other people and who are not part of this community and we tend to dissociate them and that's how we reinforce this notion that we want to be together and so by being together it indirectly indirectly kind of exclude a group of people and so as we come to our passage today when we look at the book of acts and this is right where the christian community really take roots after jesus left and after this amazing experience they experience at Pentecost, um, where they are filled with the spirit. They are charged, they're ready. Kind of like what we had today, where we get so pumped up, we're so excited about these opportunities that, that we hear about that are going on in our community, that these people want to be the change. They don't want to just sit in the sidelines. They don't want to just say, okay, cool ideas, cool story, bro, so, so what now? Like, what are we going to do? So according to Acts 2, what happened was they devoted, so these new and old followers of Christ devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And so if you break down this passage, when you look into what exactly were these people doing, you realize that essentially they are learning to receive blessings from God and from one another. And they're learning and they're practicing how to bless the community around them. And as they're doing that, they're learning to do these different things, such as listening to God and listening to one another. They eat with one another and they share the they, they They don't see their own things as their own, but as a communal thing that they're sharing with one another. And they're also sending themselves to reach those who are outside their own little circles, to invite others to come and see what they're up to in that little community. And maybe that's what blessing is about, that these are the things that, just as Christ has modeled in his life on earth, that he taught us how to listen to God and listen to one another, to the struggles and to the distress that other people are facing so that we can learn to care and to feel compassionate to those around us. Or, or to eat. Eating is such a big thing, as Rachel shared earlier, that like this is a place of bonding. This is a place of Acceptance. This is a place where other people feel they belong just when they share meals with one another. Or or even the idea of sending that it's not just for ourselves. It's not just to hog all this goodness to ourselves, but it's also a time where we go and tell others to join and to be part of this community. So what is the big deal? Like why we always talk about this passage every time we talk about fellowship in the church so what is so amazing like why is this so cool because nowadays we know all this already like this is what church is supposedly about and this is what a good community is about so why do we need to look at this passage all over again or even the better question is why cliques? like Why are we looking at the idea of cliques? Like, Why do people want to be part of a clique? What is so special about it, other than belonging to a group? Well, first of all, if you know about psychology and sociology, you know that no human being, no sane human being like to be vulnerable. They like to be in a comfort kind of setting where People are familiar. The environment is familiar. There's no risk involved. They can be themselves. They can say anything uh, in the hearts without feeling judged, without feeling threatened, or without being in any sense of danger. And obviously, this is a good thing. Like this is our natural instinct of survival. Like if you like to take risk and try out crazy things and YOLO all the time, right? Then chances are you won't make it past 30. you do something crazy and dangerous and then that's the end of your life, right? But that's that natural sense that we as human beings like to be comfortable. We, we don't like to be in settings where we feel vulnerable. There has always been studies being done too where people said that they'd rather die than be placed in a situation where they have to constantly be vulnerable before other people that they don't know or trust at all. And so, as these Christians, early Christians, are gathering together, they are practicing this essential thing of being vulnerable. Just as when some of these were early followers of Jesus, that they learned how this Son of God was making himself vulnerable to the places he went to, to the people that he shared meals with, to the kind of life, the openness that he shared with people. That, that's kind of the modeling that he showed us, how, how exactly this vulnerability is actually a source of life, rather than a curse to, to live out this life. <clears throat> and even in this passage, it talks about the idea that all the believers were together and they had everything in common all believers were together and they had everything in common and that's kind of the life that really shaped the whole Roman Empire that is the beginning of the end of that crazy emperor worship that was happening in the Roman Empire. <laughs> and that's kind of the life that was being lived differently, in this little, starting in this little cluster, this little group of people that was in the upper room in a, in, a, in a fairly small Jewish building in Jerusalem, where this is the beginning of a crazy movement that shaped up this giant European empire at first and second century A.D. According to historian Rodney Stark, <clears throat> the rise of Christianity, the reason why Christianity took shape to become the largest faith community in the entire Western hemisphere was because of this movement that started with this small group of people in this upper room. There's a lot of text that's being written on this, on, on this PowerPoint slide that what it really talked about was just a group of people living out these ideas of blessing people, listening to people, eating with people, sharing with people, and sending themselves to people. And according to that, um, that, um, that little excerpt I, I posted earlier, these Christians were extending to all parts of reach in the empire. So to the homeless and the impoverished They were living out charity as well as showing hope to these people. And to the newcomers and the strangers that entered the new land, they were essentially being the welcoming doors to the community. They were the basis for attachment to those who are in this new land and don't have anyone to belong to or to feel a part of. And to the orphans and the widows, they give them a new sense of family, an expand the family, that, that they feel like they're no longer alone. And to the oppressed and the outcasts, they give them a sense of solidarity, that they're no longer living in just by their own little fearful circles, but they are also together and loved by others. And to the sick and abandoned, and this is where the craziest part happens, that in the Roman Empire when epidemics break out, the natural protocol is to isolate these people and leave them to die, to, to be left for dead. But it's essentially the Christians who are risking their own lives and going to these um, quarantined areas and to love and care and to show hope to these people. And that's where the spread of Christianity really exploded when in the midst of these epidemics and, and disease and, and crazy plagues that Christians do reach out and show them because of their love in Jesus, because of the love that Jesus gave them, that they are able to risk their own lives to care and to be compassionate to the sick and the needy. And so you might think, this is crazy, like, I, we can't do this. Like, We don't have the courage and the power to do this. Like, How do we be a community that can do these things? This is just a fable to the early church where they are so strong in the spirit. That's why they can do it. But for us, in the 21st century, how can we fulfill these things that the church was doing back then? And according to a very famous sociologist who also happens to be a Christian is totally doable. And in her book she says that vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable but they're never weakness. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable but they're not weakness either. Just a Paul in Corinthians said, it is in weakness that we become strong. That through embracing ourselves as weak, to, to, to appear as the genuine, powerless persons that we are, that we're able to let Christ work in us, to, to reach out to these people that we find hard to reach, to be open to people that we find really hard to open up to, to be vulnerable the four people that we might find otherwise were uncomfortable because of our sense and need for comfort. And as a church, that's what we are about as a community. That in the Bible, there's no such word as church in the New Testament. The word church doesn't exist back then but rather, it talks more about community, it talks about this word, that Greek word called koinonia, which is essentially fellowship. And the word fellowship itself comes from this word called koinos, which means common. That as a fellowship, you not just come because you have a common interest, but you see each other as your own, as common, as a community. That when you come together, when you live life together, that's when you can build up that courage. That when you can see each other as your own, you no longer need to fear because of what differentness others might look like. But you can see through that and see what's common with one another. And that's what happened at the end in that that these people were praising God and enjoying the flavors of all the people. They were enjoying the flavors of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. And that's where it sometimes feels so mind-boggling that they didn't actively say, evangelize in the way we thought of, like tell people in the streets, like these are important too but they didn't just go and say believe in Jesus because he's real but they just live out what Jesus embodied in the community and naturally because this community is so amazing, so infectious that other people naturally want to come and see and want to know why this community is amazing and the source of power that is at work behind the community And so, no sane person wants to be vulnerable. But it's okay, because we're not individuals. But we are a community that is drawn by that common love of being loved by Christ. And because of this common love we have together, we can rely on it and build courage. And because of this courage we have, we can learn to become vulnerable with one another. We don't have to fear about the differentness that we may encounter in this world. And because of this ability to become vulnerable, that's when people naturally are attracted to want to know more, to want to learn more, and want to be part of more, and become common as one in community. And so my challenge to us is, I am a perfectionist. I don't know if you're, but I am a perfectionist. And so you want to do something, I don't want to just settle with being a half-done job. I want to be the very best. And so if we Christians are cliquey, let's be the biggest and largest and the most obnoxious clique in the world. Let's be so cliquey that it is the biggest clique in the world, that the whole world, the whole humanity is part of this clique, that everyone is part of this group, that we will reach out and see each other as comfortable, as common, and as loving in our community. Just as Christ has reminded us that there are neither Jews or Gentile, neither slaves nor free nor male or female and so on and so on for you are all one in Christ Jesus I think after all that shame we had today we all to some extent would feel excited about all these seven programs but like Flora shared earlier this is not the act of any individual or small group of individuals it started just as that little group back in the first century AD that we have become together as one in Christ that no individuals would feel alone that imagine what if there's newcomers that come into this community and well, for whatever reason, they come and they don't know what to do or they want to just feel belong. That maybe they are one of that common denominator of feeling Vancouver as the loneliest city in Vancouver. How can we extend our welcome to them? That starting with the first impression when they come into the store, that we make them feel welcomed to be part of this group. That through the common interests that we share, that we can see the chance to bond because of these different things that we do share? And what if eventually we can grow in this relationship, that we can share in a deeper sense of belonging, that through this faith that we can share with them, that they, feel they can feel that they're part of this group, that they can live life together. So, it might be a tall task for us, but the good news is we have that common love that draws us together in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks for the opportunity to live out this community together that through the different challenges that we may encounter, we can continue to see that you are the one that grants us courage. That in the struggles that we might uh, face to, to, to become vulnerable, to become Genuine and loving to those um, that we might not know. May you continue to empower us and guide us and strengthen us. Pray all these in your son's most precious name. Amen.